you're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. You're listening to episode 344 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. The former host of this podcast is back. Cal Daigle is the Senior Director of Strategic Programs at GitHub, working on cross-company projects to help GitHubers and the developer community accomplish the best work of their life with GitHub. He has worked on exciting ships like the GitHub Arctic Code Vault, the acquisitions of PM, Pull Panda, and others, and is the former engineering leader of GitHub's ecosystem engineering team responsible for the GraphQL API, Marketplace, and GitHub apps. Welcome back to the show, Kyle. Thanks, Brittany. It's so great to be back. It's so great to have you. So for listeners who might not know you, uh, what is your developer origin story? Yeah, so uh, many, many years ago, uh, when I was 13, actually, this is pretty apropos to when we're recording this, I, uh, I started working uh, at my local election department, uh, building access databases uh, for you know printing off the voter rolls, and and so I, I started with that, and then ended up moving into PHP and building a website so folks could look up their uh, their voter status, and I did that. Uh, Basically, until now, to some degree, you know, back then it was uh, all the way through high school. Uh, I really enjoyed solving like specific problems. I'm definitely not the type of programmer or developer who, you know, started because of computer science, you know, or electrical engineering and, and what that really entails. For me, it was always just, oh, there's a problem and I could make this a little bit better by writing, you know, a couple dozen or hundreds of lines of code. Uh, and that really stuck with me, even though, you know, I didn't uh, try to go to school for, for software. It was always about uh, having the tools I needed to, you know, help help solve a problem or, or help other people. Uh, and I think that's still true today now that I'm uh, at GitHub. That's amazing. So I've mentioned on the show several times that the Ruby on Rails podcast really helped me when I was a junior developer. I would listen to you and Sean banter about the various things that you were working on in GitHub. So I'm so curious, how has your role evolved over the last couple of years at GitHub? Yeah, so it's been a while uh, uh, since I was able to uh, chat with you and I was on the on the podcast. So since we last spoke, uh, you know, like the world knows now, uh, GitHub was acquired by Microsoft. Uh, and, you know, around that time, I think that uh, I've been at GitHub for maybe five years by then, uh, which, you know, in technology land is like, I don't know, 25, you know, dog years or something. It was a lot, very, very long time. And I, I wanted to try something new. You know, I've, I'd been running engineering teams. I was a developer, especially when, uh, you know, me and Sean were uh, doing the podcast and I wanted to take my experience of writing software and, and managing those teams and try to bring, bring it to uh, a more cross-functional, you know, business audience at GitHub. Like, how can I help teams by having that background, but solving more, you know, business or marketing or strategic problems? And so, uh, I took a uh, I took a leave of absence at GitHub um, uh, for I think about two months to kind of clear my head. And and I highly recommend it for folks that have the opportunity to do that between jobs, you know, especially uh, uh, or uh, uh, you know between role changes if if they if the company can support them or they have the means to do that. Uh, and when I came back, I joined what we now call strategic programs, which is a very, very interesting mishmash of uh, different uh, projects and goals. But essentially, it's 
everything that is super cross-functional uh, at GitHub, where it's not really an engineering problem, it's not really a marketing problem, it's a little bit of everything. And, uh, and the team that I'm on sort of goes in and we work on something uh, for you know a couple weeks, a couple months, or, or maybe a year, and then we pass it on to a long-lived team. Uh, so we're we we really try to focus on things that have high impact and they're all over the board like you like you shared in the uh in the intro with my bio just everything from you know software projects and engineering projects to uh doing uh, acquisitions for github which has been you know very different than github's past uh work uh and then you know kind of really interesting bombastic things like uh the github arctic code vault or when we had um, Dr. Katie Bauman at Satellite, when she was showing her uh, black hole photo, uh, I was able to be a part of that from her satellite appearance in Boston, uh, which was great. So very, very, very different from the role that I had when uh, I would talk to you or, or Sean and kind of talking about specific uh, programming problems every day. Uh, this is always now, or my role now really is about the connection between solving those programming problems and how it can be best supported by, you know, a different function or many different functions and Side, uh, you know, the GitHub uh, business environment. Okay, well, uh, you're, you need to brace yourself because I'm about to pay you a compliment because during the podcast, you and Sean had a really good discussion about what it means to be a full stack developer. And that's really stuck with me. And I remember Sean talking about how it's the ability to be able to code, but also work with people. And that might mean marketing or sales. And I just remember towards the end of you recording on the podcast that you were getting involved with GitHub Universe and you were really becoming a voice for the engineering team. And I thought to myself, that is a career that I, I want to watch. And so it's really cool that the different path that you have taken since then. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I enjoy talking about this work solely because I think we have an incorrect notion about software development, wherein it needs to be completely focused on the uh, you know, the science, the sort of mathematics, the, the the focus on the code. And now people can make careers out of that. I think that's excellent and awesome. I just think there's such a place right now in software development, technology, business, just the world, right, to have an approach that is pragmatic and, you know, sort of uh, uh, humanitarian, I guess, empathetic in a way where you're focusing on not only what you're able to do in code, but if you're building something and your boss is telling you, listen, you have to build this and it's going to take three months and just pour all your heart and soul into it. And then at the end of the three months, you hand it to a customer and no one uses it. You know, it's just to me that that'd be so demoralizing and it would feel like such a waste of my time. And so I think for folks to spend a little bit of time understanding how do this how does the sales team at your company actually sell your product like what are the features that your customers are, are interested and excited by immediately or what problems do they have you know if you can do a ride along with sales or, or sit in on those calls i find those to be so uh exponentially valuable uh to understanding what you're trying to build in software more so than 100% focusing on the craft of software development, especially when you're in a company or a startup, when you have the ability to have, you know, that sort of context uh, at your disposal. I couldn't agree more. Well, I'm so interested in the acquisitions that you've been involved in. We named them at the top of the show, but I'd love to ask, you know, what was maybe the most impactful acquisition that you've worked on so far? Oh, goodness. I mean, the funny thing about acquisitions that is that for everyone that GitHub has done, they've all been very, very different, you know, like looking at uh, the folks at Dependabot, um, you know, 
bringing that into GitHub and, and it really remaining a, a feature that's branded and specific because it solves such a specific need of being able to update all your dependencies, you know, keep updated when uh, security vulnerabilities come out and automating that. And, and GitHub's been really adding a bunch of uh, features and functionality to make that better and better over time. Uh, you know, that, that's been great, but that was a very small team ultimately that was working on that. You know, uh, I think it was three people when they joined GitHub. So you come from that side of things, which is, which is really one piece. And then you go to something like Semel, uh, which, you know, uh, was, uh, better known in the community, at least in my eyes as, uh, LGTM.com, you know, uh, it was a it was a very interesting open source tool uh, that allowed you to scan for security vulnerabilities very very easily, uh, and and that was a very big team and it's based in Oxford and so not only did the acquisition of that which involves you know really getting to know the team the technology the work that they had it also meant you know a ton of physical travel back when that was <laughs> back when that was possible <laughs> you know and safe to do and so you know getting getting to learn from them and understand how they solve this really interesting problem uh that's extremely complex uh you know that was that was great and then of course you know npm like npm uh is such a foundational piece of the internet you know if that if if npm weren't here uh suddenly it would be uh, very difficult for uh you know millions and millions of developers to be able to uh, uh just work day to day and many sites from even just simply operating so you know for me uh, i think the thing that's always been interesting with acquisitions is just you know you get to experience and learn from a company uh with you know over a very very quick period of time you know it is it is like building a product uh in in you know two weeks it's because you need to understand you know what they're solving for what what they're really great at how the team works uh you know and and really how it would fit into github uh moving forward uh, while you're moving, you know, at a, at a breakneck pace that, uh, even someone like myself who really enjoys working on sort of time sensitive things, uh, I don't think I've ever really experienced before. Uh, and so it's, it's definitely been, uh, I think really a highlight of my career to, to work on these, uh, because of that sort of exposure to just such a variety of different technology and product teams that I don't think you'd normally get to really experience and learn from and understand, uh, like, like I've been able to, uh, you know, doing these acquisitions over the past, uh, I guess, uh, you know, year and a half, almost two years now. I've heard through the grapevine that it is a great experience to be acquired by GitHub because they understand that while they're the ones who are acquiring, they might not necessarily know best. And so they don't try to force their culture onto the acquisition and instead actually look to them for potentially new ideas. And it sounds like that might be true. Oh, completely. I mean, uh, you know, GitHub itself was only recently acquired, you know, two years ago. And, and luckily, you know, I know the internet had a lot of feelings about it uh, when it happened. Uh, but I will say, you know, Microsoft was very, very clear that uh, a lot of what we're doing, you know, and had been doing over the past, you know, 10 years, I think before that uh, is unique and valuable. And, and Microsoft had something to learn just as much as GitHub had something to learn uh, uh, from Microsoft. And so I, I feel like whenever we talk to uh, teams and as they join GitHub, uh, you know, we need to understand what makes that team tick, what made that team successful, you know, because every company is very different. Uh, no matter, you know, what, uh, how you try to compare them, you know, the, the team that's there, the products that's there, the culture that's there, the best 
benefits that are there, everything, all those little pieces make up your job, like make up what's uh, important to you. And so we do our best to try to understand and, and kind of take it slow, especially at the beginning as, as these teams join in. And then we inevitably learn from them and they learn from us and we kind of, you know, mix together and, and make uh, a, a new normal or new culture uh, that continues to propagate. Now, you know, obviously we don't get it right every time. Not everything is perfect uh, in sunshine and rainbows every moment, but uh, it's something I know I'm, I'm personally passionate about having, you know, gone through that enormous acquisition myself is just, again, back to the, back to the point you kind of made earlier. If we just treat everyone like people, you know, uh, you, everything can be like a little bit better. You know, if you just go, I know you're a human on the other side and I know that you're stressed out because you're getting acquired regardless of what that means for you. Uh, like any good, good thing or any bad thing, it's just, it's stressful and it, you know, in, even in the best cases. And so sometimes you can just sort of acknowledge that and work through that with, uh, with the other team and, and, and they're, uh, hopefully just a little bit more comfortable when they ultimately join. That's so great. I love seeing that insight. So I'm also curious about the Arctic Code Vault, which yes. sounds like an incredibly cool project. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it, Kyle. I'm sorry. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so can you tell me more about the project? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so this... Uh, this is definitely, I think, the coolest thing I've ever worked on in my life. And honestly, I, I'm, I'm slightly worried it's downhill from here. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, I, I want to say earlier in 2019, um, Nat uh, came to uh, myself and my colleague, Julia uh, Metcalf, who, who worked on this uh, with me uh, from GitHub, uh, and he... He wanted to find a way to ensure that in in sort of the, the longest view or in the worst of circumstances, how can we treat open source code with the type of, you know, gravitas and importance to humanity that it really deserves, right? Like, uh, and, and so we had started to talk about um, the seed vault. Uh, which is located in uh, Svalbard, north of Norway, where they have seeds from all across the world and uh, stored in these uh, rock vaults underground. And the seed vault is important for a variety of reasons, but one, it keeps uh, uh, genetic diversity among crops, which might sound like a lot of mumbo jumbo or people think that the seed vault's really only there. Um, because of, you know, doomsday scenarios, like when scorched earth happens, we can pull these seeds out and we can plant them. But little do people know, or, or not many people know necessarily that, um, uh, during, uh, some of the, the wars and, and civil wars in the, in the civil, in the middle East, they actually came and, and withdrew seeds for the first time to, to plant them. So that way these native species that were lost, uh, in the ravages of war were able to sort of be regrown. And so through hearing those stories and talking to Nat about, uh, you know, open source and its importance, we decided to take on this undertaking of, well, how do you store code, uh, in a way that will be secure and safe and, you know, physically there, uh, in a thousand years. Uh, and so at first it was interesting because it's just not like, it's not, you don't go to Amazon and you're like thousand year old hard drive, you know, like you can't like, just like immediately go solve some of these problems. And so we were able to work with a variety of, uh, really great sort of advisors, um, and, uh, and, and consultants like, uh, you know, the long now, uh, and many others to, to find out that we could, 
find a very particular type of film uh, that then we could store into a very particular type of archive uh, that is up in Svalbard. And, uh, and then it was sort of the a lot of the raw mechanics of, well, how do you get the code? How do you print the film? How do you get to Svalbard? Like, what is it like when you're there? Um, and, and so we were kind of able to... Uh, start to work uh work through that you know incredible journey uh <laughs> as uh, uh as we went through the next several months ultimately culminating and when we announced it uh you know at github universe last year in uh, 2019. this episode of the 5x5 ruby on rails podcast is brought to you by scout apm Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With the developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance concerns like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat. So you can spend less time debugging and more time building a great product. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why Rails developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting the show. Wow. So what ultimately ended up being your role in the project? Yeah. So uh, my role was sort of as a uh, technical consultant uh, working with, like I mentioned, Julia Metcalf and a gentleman named John Evans, uh, who's sort of leading up the archive uh, uh, itself. And so it involved everything between Julia and I figuring out which you know how are we going to determine which code it is how are we going to tell this story to the world how are we going to work with partners to get this printed off and 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 shipped and then physically getting to svalbard and figuring out the archive and where it would be stored and working with our partners there and so uh this is kind of you know one of the times where having that technical background really gave me an opportunity to dive deep and dig into uh how it would be stored and then worry about things too with uh, my colleague John. So we store it all. How will people know what's on these reels and, and how will they find important information? And then what information would they need to know the context about this code? You know, like if we put rails rails in, which I know is, uh, is stored there, what other information would you need to have stored to make use of that? Can we assume there are computers? Well, maybe not. Can we uh, assume that there are uh, uh, processors or diodes? Well, well maybe, or, or maybe not. And then so on and so forth down the road uh, to build uh, what we've been calling like a tech tree to be able to say, okay, well, depending on what part of civilization you're at or what technology you have available to you, uh, this is how you use this software. Uh, this is how you can uh, read the code that's here. Uh, and so it, it's it's been interesting to me because both working on it from the technical uh, aspect and cross-functional aspect is just telling people this story in a way that doesn't make it sound like out of nowhere or, you know, like just a complete weird event. Like this is not shooting a Tesla into space, you know, like 
uh, which I think, you know, even telling my family I was doing this, they, that, you know, that was the immediate, uh, that was the immediate sort of reaction was like, okay, sure. You crazy person, you know? Um, but I think for us, it's, 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 it's real. It's, you know, it doesn't take a lot of, uh, uh, research to see all these events in our world wherein not even doomsday scenarios, but just decay, just like time we lose software we lose it so much faster than anyone really realizes i mean we all have a personal story about how well oh my god i didn't realize my wedding photos are on this laptop or that my first software project ever was on a hard drive that is now you know in a dump somewhere um and uh i think we think that you know the cloud makes us invincible to that but uh you know it it doesn't uh, a solar flare uh, disrupted radio communications and much more in, in cuba uh, many decades ago and it caused real problems uh and so you know this is something that i think it's easy to sort of jump to the conclusion of you know well the world is ended and now we can pull out you know kyle's bugs or britney's bugs or or whatever but i think in reality it's it's probably much more real realistic that in the next hundred years um we will have lost just again to, due to entropy some piece of software that we didn't realize was critical at the time uh but because it's been stored there and in many different partners around the world it's it'll be easier for us to uh you know go and get that and and hopefully you know continue on evolving software uh uh over time yeah this makes complete sense to me i have so many friends who have lost bitcoins because they've been locked out of machines you know they forget and then you think, too, about all those old school credit card processors and hospitals that are still on assembly or the government software that might need something like that. So, I mean, you have to you can't just compare it to the modern frameworks that we get the privilege of using. There's a lot of old software that's running a lot of critical things. And so really to have that kind of insurance policy is pretty amazing. Oh, exactly. And I mean, uh, you know, it, the the code vault itself, the Arctic code vault that, that we have is, is also part of a much bigger uh, GitHub archive program where we've been working with partners uh, around the world to store uh, store GitHub's source code and events and, and varying and differing uh, sort of what we're calling, you know, paste layers, which was, uh, again, borrowed from the, uh, the long now where, you know, some uh, items like uh, uh, the all the recent pushes of code will be sent and stored by the Internet Archive, which is, you know, famous for the Wayback Machine, as well as the Software Heritage Foundation. Uh, and then there's also opportunities for us to continue to store code in sort of varying degrees of uh, 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 longevity with partners. And we're still working with more and more partners and more and more sort of formats. Uh, so that way, you know... It, we don't need to sort of do a trek up to Svalbard if we need it. You know, there there's an opportunity for us to uh, hopefully at some point be on any continent and have some sort of uh, storage there of important uh, it, both to, like you said, both the systems around the world or just as an anthropological, uh, you know, sort of capture. Like, what were we like uh, when we wrote software, you know, in uh, 2020 or the aughts? Uh, you know, being able to have that on every continent in a in a safe, uh, secure, uh, you know, storage mechanism, I think is the goal as of uh, Julia, uh, who's continuing on with the project as I as I sort of rolled off uh, after we were able to complete the the Arctic Code Vault. Uh, she's continuing to work on that, and I think there will be more announcements, you know, in the coming months about what the next iteration of the archive program would be uh, to continue to secure, you know, the, the world's code in whatever way uh, GitHub needs to. 
Well, that's exciting. Well, you heard it here, folks. So yeah, <laughs> more, more announcements coming. There's there's more. There's all there's always more. <laughs> that is so true, and I'm starting to really learn that from GitHub. <laughs> so I am curious, what was the pattern for picking a repository for the vault, and how do I know if my code was included? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the the code that was stored uh, in uh, Svalbard is actually stored and printed on these sort of you can kind of picture old school film reels uh, and it's this special silver halide film that essentially has enormous QR codes etched into into it uh, and by enormous I really just mean a lot of pixels it, the, the, it's very it's very small um, it's you know the the film is r- roughly the width of your thumb or so you know a little bit wider than that and so uh, there's a physical limitation because we didn't want to compress the code too much uh, because we're thinking, well, you got to read it out. You don't want to have to be able to one, figure out how to read it out and then two, uncompress it. It just seems like a, I don't know, a jerk move, uh, you know, for future us. Uh, so we, we, we were limited by space. And so we chose uh, essentially, um, I believe the date was February 2nd, 2020. We chose uh uh, active repositories that had uh, a push or, or some degree of activity uh, roughly from when we announced the um, the archive program at Universe the previous year. And so you can see on your profile at GitHub, actually. So if you go to GitHub and you go to, you know, github.com slash your username or by uh, just going to your profile by clicking your icon on the top right, there is a little Arctic uh uh, code vault contributor badge that should show up there if any of your code is in there and it'll also tell you um, what repositories were potentially in there and so uh, it, it's an easy way to see something that you've contributed to it's not just your repositories it's also other things that you contributed to um, but that's the easiest way to check if your uh, your work is in there uh, specifically in the Arctic code vault but your work is probably also being archived by many of our different partners, uh, like I mentioned, on a you know sort of daily basis uh, for some of them, and then for some of them they take much uh, l- longer chunks, you know, monthly, quarterly, yearly uh, updates as well. Is the idea of the Arctic Code Vault to be captured once, or is there a plan to ever update that specific capture? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, when we were talking with Nat, I rem- even when we were there, we were we were kind of feeling like you know we're probably going to have to do it again, you know, both because of just human progress and, uh, and, uh, if, if folks find this of interest and, and something that they would like to also include, uh, we don't have a current plan right now as to when that would be, um, because, you know, candidly, we don't really know. We don't know sort of when we'll have a Delta that makes sense or the, the film technology that we went with provided by pickle is also sort of growing and, uh, becoming better and lasting longer and being able to store more data uh, on a much lower size. So we are trying to figure out ways in which we can, in addition to hopefully going back to Svalbard uh, at some point, uh, you know, also being able to store more on a regular basis in different locations that would be memorable and sort of, you know, knowable by by humanity at that stage. uh, Because, uh, I was I was lucky enough to go when we did the drop and we were shooting that video to to, to show at Universe, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen. Uh, uh, it's uh, for anyone listening. It's a it's a it really explains. Uh, 
or I guess demonstrates the sort of uh, both awe and like absurdity, I guess, of, of this, you know, like it's, it's uh, when you go there, it's a beautiful small town that gets one flight in a day, one flight out a day. They get almost all their goods by a boat. There's no wood on the island. The island runs a single coal plant, which I believe is like one of the only, if not the only coal plant currently running in Norway because of Norway's progressive, you know, uh, uh, green policies, but they need it because that's the only way they have power. And you go up on a hill and you pass this beautiful architected, um, uh, seed vault that's there and slightly further down the road you come into this uh it used to be a coal mine that was shut down uh you know by the government um i want to say a decade or two decades earlier uh and you go in and it's a coal mine <laughs> Brittany. it's like a, a coal mine and it, and it and it's built up before it goes down so that way if any water comes in it doesn't you know kind of go into the mine and then down 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 you go you just walk with headlamps and then there's steel reinforced doors and then you go through those and there's another set of steel locked reinforced doors and you go through those and you go into another room which has steel reinforced locked containers that ultimately have you know ultimately have the reels that that we've been working with in there and so uh the reels because of their size in part we can only fit so many uh you know before we have to consider getting more of these containers with the arctic world archive that uh that helped us with this and so uh it's a uh, again like a very interesting logistical problem uh for us to solve and for others who are interested in uh you know storing this uh but god i hope uh, I was talking to a colleague uh, just today about this, actually. I said, oh, I really hope we can go back at some point and do this again, just because it's uh, such one, just such an interesting, uh, beautiful place uh, to go to. And then two, uh, again, like just such an awesome opportunity and responsibility to be personally involved in something that will outlive, oh my goodness, I don't know, eight generations of my lineage, you know, like a very, very, very long time uh, uh, for any of us. Yeah, that is absolutely incredible. And now I am worried that your career is going to peak because that sounds so cool. <laughs> it, it was it was so 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 cool. And a small a small story, if you'll permit me. Of course. Um, there's a school there that's ultimately uh, looking both at uh, a sort of radar and, and a bunch of different things to uh, study the aurora borealis. And so we were attempting while we were there. We were like, listen, this is uh, much has many more people here uh, than than we were sort of anticipating coming in. We didn't realize about the school before we attended or the university before we, we, we got there. Wouldn't it be great if we could find someone who's a GitHub user here? And so we're trying to go through, you know, public information that we have about users. We can't find it. And then the tour guide that we have, because there are polar bears in Svalbard, you need to have a tour guide with you who, who carries a rifle, not to injure the animal, but solely to scare it away uh, because you wouldn't do any harm <laughs> with it. Uh, he goes, oh. Uh, my friend Katie is a GitHub user. We're like, really? And so we end up meeting Katie. She brings us up to the sort of observation observation post that they use to collect all this data. And they use a bunch of GitHub scripts to stitch it all together. Uh, and she explains all about her research, all about her work. And in addition, tells us that her and her fellow colleagues at the university are some of the people who basically sit in a observation post there looking at the electromagnetic waves, I guess, in the atmosphere to help tell NASA when they can launch rockets because you have to do it only in a very particular window of time. And it's just like, 
those moments where you're able to understand like you know the thing you work on every day and can sometimes feel you know rote or it's just like i'm just fixing a bug or whatever you know like you're making an impact on something that has such a domino effect you know all the way down to i mean i came home and i was like so proud we invited katie uh, to universe and she was uh, luckily able to attend uh and telling all of my friends every time a spacex launch happens i'm like well you know they had to call katie before they could launch that rocket you know uh it was just a uh, uh, never mind just the code vault which was awe-inspiring in and of itself but uh just being able to in the furthest you know reaches north uh that there is civilization uh, uh, to be able to meet a GitHub user there that also has such a weirdly specific and critical role in something that, you know, uh, also, you know, pushes human progress forward. Uh, it, I think it's just something I'll never, I'll never forget. Well, yeah, you made a friend who's basically an air traffic controller for space. So. I, 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 yes, I, I definitely will never, ever, ever forget Katie. Uh, uh, and, and we, I know we stay in touch over email every once in a while, uh, both her and with the team. Well, as we start to wrap up, I am curious, when you were hosting the podcast, it felt like at the time you would be working on some projects at GitHub that you were not privy to reveal, and then eventually they would come out and then you would talk about them. So I'm curious, is that still how things work for you at GitHub? Do you often find yourself working on projects that haven't been announced and then you can kind of explain to people outside, hey, this last six months, this is what I've been doing? <laughs> I would say uh, almost uh, almost always, you know, it's it still kind of works that way. Um, I do think that in GitHub, of engineering in some in some cases that becomes slightly less uh normal you know like the github cli uh which was released uh in in uh, general availability i think uh, about a month ago or so that was ultimately open source you know it was open source uh from its early stages and so it was it was much easier to follow along with what we were working on um you know we announced code spaces a little early to get the community feedback in so i think i think one of the things that's a little bit unique about how github has sort of evolved since uh i left the podcast uh and i think a lot of this uh you know can be credited to you know nat and and the team and, and how github's evolved over time is we're we're shipping features faster than ever like hopefully that's apparent on the outside and and but it's not just shipping fast you know we really want to ship well we want to ship great user experiences we want to ship things that are useful to you your colleagues open source maintainers day to day uh and so instead of necessarily shipping things and sort of huge bombastic ways like maybe we have in the past where like you said you know i don't talk about anything uh for six months and then suddenly it's here and it's kind of like done and then we get to see how people use it we've been shipping things a little bit faster and then getting feedback and then really touting the final product and so you know over the past year uh, uh th there's been a couple of, of examples of that like i said code spaces um also you know github discussions which were mentioned at satellite and used uh, during satellite where that's just being developed you know in some ways in the open with uh the folks that are helping us test it out and make sure it's going to work for everyone um and so you know i think given we're i want to say literally a month away from github universe which is now uh completely remote uh, on video it's uh for three days this year instead of just one single day so hopefully it'll be a little bit easier for folks to kind of just tune in for a couple hours you know while they're at work or in the early uh portion of their day and then get back to work instead of dedicating an entire day it's uh december 8th through 10th 
uh, starting at 9 a.m. Pacific or, uh, or noon Eastern each day. Uh, there's also a, an APAC uh, rebroadcast. So if uh, if folks are listening uh, uh, from a region uh, where it's be a huge pain in the butt to tune into something at 9 a.m. Pacific, uh, they rebroadcast it with live hosts as well. So uh, it gives an opportunity for folks uh, on that side of the world also to sort of have that same experience. I highly recommend you tune in. You know, uh, I think that like I said, the the teams at GitHub been, have been really focused on just how can we make each day a little bit better for you. Uh, and so, uh, obviously, uh, that's my coy way of saying uh, I have no surprises for you, Brittany. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I'd love for folks to tune in and uh, and uh, and check it out because I'm I'm sure there will be some surprises for you there. Okay, absolutely. Well, we'll link all that up in the show notes. So in the past week, it was announced that Rails 6.1 release candidate one is now available. And it's such a difference in how GitHub has really been leading the charge, both with Shopify and Basecamp really Mm -hmm. to be on the leading edge of Rails. And so Kyle, you know, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? Yeah, I mean, I I I first sort of really want to apply, uh, or excuse me, applaud uh, Eileen, Aaron Patterson, uh, you know, and other folks at GitHub that have taken, uh, you know, what was a two, three fork uh, and a custom Ruby version, and done so much work to the point now that GitHub builds master uh, for you know, our pull requests, uh, in addition to whatever, you know, recent, uh, version of rails that we're on, you know, I think we needed to do that. Uh, it was a lot of work, uh, on a, on a small group of people. And then ultimately, you know, the, the community at GitHub or the, the, the team at GitHub has been able to really improve and share a lot of the learnings that we have made over those years, running an enormous, extremely old rails app. And so to me, the thing that excites me most about, uh, uh, the newer versions of Rails is that they haven't had to decide is this a real enterprise grade language that has all these features because they've been adding those like you said between Shopify, Basecamp, GitHub, other Rails shops. You know, folks have been sending in things like uh, better database connection workflows, like like GitHub has uh, to to really make Rails grow with the people that have been using it. But in addition, I've been able to start up some new uh, Greenfield uh, Rails projects at GitHub and also make the onboarding experience, the sort of, um, you know, convention over configuration flow, uh, keep up with the time so that, you know, we're we're using automatically what the best practices we think are it's 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 great that you have sort of both sides uh to that and uh i think i said this when i was on however many years ago with sean i just i love that rails is like air quotes out of vogue you know like because i think you can solve more serious problems when you don't have to worry so much about being popular you know you can really just do the work there's going to be tons of Rails developers still. Sure, it's not written in JavaScript, but somehow Rails will survive that, you know, uh, and we can continue to do work. So I, I'm I'm still excited and I'm, and I'm happy that uh, more folks have been able to contribute to GitHub from both that sort of new, uh, that new startup workflow and just, you know, running some of the biggest sites, uh, you know, in the world. That is absolutely great to hear. So Kyle, how can listeners follow you? Listeners can follow me uh, basically solely these days on Twitter. Uh, You can follow me at KDaigle there uh, or on GitHub. 
Awesome. Well, Kyle, it has been an absolute pleasure having you back. And I want to thank you personally for keeping our code safe for generations to come. Thank you so much, Brittany. Great to be back. You're doing an amazing job. Uh, Keep up all the great work over here on the Ruby on Rails podcast. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.